0: Hello, this is Courtney Act. I am at the National Gallery of Victoria here in Melbourne because I am going to see queer stories from the NGV Collection exhibition. Excuse me, can you tell me which way to the queer exhibition?
1: You can take the elevator up to level three. Thank you.
0: Hello and welcome to the NGV's Queer Podcast. I'm Courtney Act and in this episode, we're going to be looking at community and activism and I'm going to be talking to artist Tourmaline and also to Meg Slater, who's the Assistant Curator of International Exhibitions Projects at the NGV here. But before we get to that, I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung people as the traditional owners of the land on which this exhibition and this podcast takes place. I pay my respects to their Elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal Elders and other communities who may be listening. Now this is a five-part podcast series and throughout the episodes I'm going to be exploring themes, artists and artworks represented in the NGV's new free exhibition which is titled Queer. It's on display at the NGV here in Melbourne from the 10th of March through to the 21st of August 2022. The exhibition explores the NGV's collection through a queer lens. Um, It approaches queer, not just as an identity, but also as a framework to understand sensibilities and aesthetic approaches, political and theoretical perspectives and communities. And I know that the word queer can be a sensitive word for some people in our community, historically a slur. It's been reclaimed by LGBTQ plus people. And I want to honour that as well and interrogate uh, that trauma and the in the reclamation of the word. It's a really Big and exciting exhibition. There's over 400 works by artists who identify as queer, um, some of them who lived in times where you couldn't, and artists who are not queer but whose work has a connection to queer histories. In this episode, I'm going to be chatting to Tourmaline. Now, Tourmaline is an activist, filmmaker and writer. Her work highlights the capacity of black, queer and trans people and communities to make and transform worlds. In her films, Tourmaline creates portraits of people whose stories tell the history of New York City, including gay and trans liberation activists, drag queens and queer icons like Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. That's coming up a little bit later in the episode and now have a chinwag with Meg Slater. Welcome Meg Slater, the Assistant Curator of International Exhibition Projects. It's lovely to be with you today.
1: Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: I'm excited uh, because we're going to be talking about community and activism which are You know, such important parts of our queer community. Um, Just historically, I guess, when you're in a minority community, there is struggle for visibility, but then obviously there's uh, parts of our queer history uh, where community and activism was integral to our survival. So what are we going to be looking through today?
1: One thing that I would love to talk about is the fact that people often associate activism within the queer community with it, with particular moments in history, mm-hmm. which is certainly the case. There have been sort of watershed moments where activism became uh, sort of a much more frequently used tool um, for liberation and to sort of um, fight for equality. But it's something that has actually existed in various forms throughout queer history, um, from the smallest things to um, the most public of declarations. And I think that's actually quite a beautiful part of the focus work for this session, um, Tourmaline's Atlantic is a Sea of Bones, because she, you know she as an artist is really interested in celebrating the monumental points in queer history that often go unnoticed, but also those everyday actions that are just as important. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, sometimes just being queer is activism in totally. a world that would tell you otherwise. Yeah, totally. So tell me, how is community and activism represented throughout this exhibition?
1: Well, I mean, it's similar to many themes that are present in the exhibition. It's not really constrained to one part, which is kind of typical of queer history and queer life. Um, Many of the works in this exhibition could slip into several sections because they address so many parts of the queer experience. But there is one quite concentrated section of the exhibition that really focuses on um, queer activism, but also its intersection with community. And I guess what I mean by that is queer organising and um, queer people coming together as a form of activism, as a really important form of activism, sort of strength in numbers, I suppose. Um, And while I've sort of made reference to that activism sort of being present throughout history and in various forms, in this section of the exhibition we really do focus on particular moments in fairly recent queer history. So we represent the Gay Liberation Movement, um, which, you know, while it come to, came to the forefront in the 70s, really had its origins in the 50s and 60s in North America with, um, you know, demonstrations like um, the Compton um, Diner Riot, uh, but then, of course, came to the pinnacle of um, of Stonewall mm. uh, in 1969. It's interesting how
0: Stonewall became this catch-all mm. and that there, there's the, the Compton Diner Riot and then there was the... San Francisco bathhouse moment yep. and like several other big um, m- moments that predated Stonewall, mm. um, why, why is Stonewall the one that got the glory, if you will?
1: I think a few reasons and I'm, I'm by no means um, accounting for all of them mm-hmm. but I think some big changes were the attention that that particular demonstration received and... um,
0: Attention in the media?
1: Yeah, attention in the media, attention within the community. Um, You know, New York is sort of a queer epicentre as well um, and the Stonewall Inn is, you know, a really important queer site. I mean, not that any of these other places weren't as important, but I think what we saw change after Stonewall, and I think it was really... I don't see Stonewall as just, um, you know, uh, while it was a really important moment, I don't see it as... Stonewall being the starting point, I mm. think it was building like most movements, right? So I think Stonewall was like this tipping point, if you will. And after that, we saw um, like hundreds and hundreds of, of gay and lesbian and trans community groups um, beginning to you know come together and organize for the first time. And we saw a year after Stonewall, um, the anniversary of that riot as the first pride marches mm throughout North America and beyond. So we start to see this sort of codifying almost of of queer activism following Stonewall in a way that it hadn't before.
0: I think even a lot of queer people uh, think about this one night, Mm. like that was the the beginning and the moment. Yeah, I think the tipping point is probably a great word for it Mm. because there was obviously so much going on beforehand. Mm. It's so much more... Involved than like a night at a gay bar that turned into Stonewall.
1: Exactly, yeah. and I mean, even if you think about the gay bar as a site that has existed for centuries, yeah, people might not be as aware of that. Um, I Tell mean,
0: me about some <laughs> gay bars <laughs> of the centuries, gay bars. yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, one of my favourite works in queer, and I like not to choose favourites, but this one <laughs> really is a favourite, is um, this incredible photograph by Brassai. Uh, of Le Monocle, which was a lesbian bar that was operative in Paris during the interwar years. Brassai, Hungarian photographer, uh, was taking photographs as part of this larger Paris by night series mm-hmm. and he sort of gained access to the club through one of the regular patrons named Claude. And he got in, he set up his camera and he took these fantastic photographs of um, basically these, these new forms of gender expression within the lesbian community that were taking shape at the time. Um, One of the most prominent being Legarçon, which translates to sort of female boy, which is somewhat offensive nowadays, but really just sort of like a a female masculinity, I suppose. Mm. And so a lot of the patrons there would dress in sort of... uh, military uniforms, top coats, they would have cropped, um, slicked back hairstyles. And as the name of the bar would suggest, they would wear a monocle. Mm. And they would often be accompanied by um, highly um, feminine partners, um, femis. And I think what I love about these photographs that Brassai took, one of which we will have in Queer, is that they don't really care that he's there. (laughs) Mm. Like they're sort of just going about their night and they're extremely confident, um, as they should be, Mm. but there's no aspect of intimidation that can be sensed. Mm. These women and gender non-conforming people are just going about their lives. And it's kind of an example of what I mentioned before in terms of, you know, Tourmaline's interest in the everyday. And um, those women probably weren't thinking that they were engaging in, you know, a a really crucial form of queer activism at Mm -hmm. that time. They were just expressing themselves. But I recognise that as an important form of activism.
0: So looking at Tourmaline's work, what will we be seeing in the queer exhibition?
1: We will be seeing... video work by Tourmaline called Atlantic is a Sea of Bones, which the artist created in 2017. Um, It was a commission for visual aids for their yearly um, commission that they do for uh, World AIDS Day. Mm -hmm. And it's quite typical of her practice and her community work in that it involved her sort of diving into the archives once more, um, which... Just to say more broadly, that process of researching and digging for these hidden stories, it often becomes the start of a narrative structure for Tourmaline's film. So in Atlantic is the Sea of Bones? she really follows the main protagonist, Egypt, um, Labeja, who's a fantastic, renowned trans black performer um, in New York. Uh, it's really this process of following her through these factual but also sometimes speculative and fictionalised elements of a narrative structure where she revisits sites of celebration but also loss um, that were occupied by her community. La Beja herself um, lived for a time at the Christopher Street Piers mm-hmm. um, as a houseless person um, and formed, you know, incredible queer community links while she was there and um, she sort of throughout the film in various forms pays homage to uh, the black trans queer people that she has lost often through, due to the HIV AIDS epidemic. Um, and it's a beautiful film. It sort of starts out with uh dancing um, on the balcony of the new Whitney Museum in New York, which looks out over at many sites, um, historical sites for her community, um, including the piers, which are, of course, you know, have been uh, beat for for centuries for queer people. Um, And then it sort of moves into this um, sort of otherworldly fictionalised element where she sort of slips into water um, into bath water specifically. And water is often sort of this transformative element visually in in Tourmaline's work. And she sort of um, moves back through history and you see her um, her voguing with sort of friends and her community and, and performing and um, yeah, really sort of paying tribute to that part of that important part of queer history, um, which is the case with many of Tourmaline's work. So we're really excited to be able to be presenting that work in our exhibition nice
0: well that sounds like a good place (laughs) to um throw to my chat with the lovely tourmaline thank you so much meg for sharing all of this with me today it's been an absolute delight
1: oh same thing it was fantastic to speak with you
0: hello to the lovely tourmaline how are you today i'm so great it's so good to be
2: talking to you Whereabouts are you in the world? I'm in New York City in the in the West Village, um, and I've been living in New York for about twenty years now. So
0: nice. Are you at
2: home? Yeah. Are you at the studio? I'm at home. I just came from the studio. Had a had a like working on some new work for the for Venice Biennale, which is uh, happening in April and kind of like a big. Gathering of artists, um, and I'm doing a, like exhibition there, and I've been working on that. And I'm I'm writing in the middle of writing a book, uh, kind of about uh, this person, Marsha B. Johnson, who was a street queen, trans woman, uh, activist, performer, off off Broadway um, artist. I'm writing her biography.
0: You've made some films about Marsha.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Is she one of your your
2: loves and your passions? She's definitely one of my loves and my passions. And, you know, every time I think I'm like, OK, I'm like, not this, fr- like, thank you, Marsha. Like, it's been so meaningful. She says, no, no, no. <laughs> not done yet. <laughs> not done yet. She says... She says, there is so much more of this story (laughs) to (laughs) tell. And then I say, okay, thank you. And then it starts again.
0: It's a great place to start the conversation talking about Marsha because uh, the theme of our podcast today is community and activism. Yes. Which you do a lot of through your art. And, of course, Marsha is one of those hugely important figures in our queer history who... I mean, community and activism were such important tenets of, of their work. Um, tell me about combining a figure like Marsha P. Johnson into your art to tell their story, to, to give that story even more life than it already has.
2: You know, it's, so, it's such a great question. I think part of what has been wonderful in my, my dance with Marsha is... Um, you know, I've been lucky to tell her story in different forms in different moments in my life. And so, um, you know, over a decade ago, I was kind of writing about her, her activism, her, um, you know, work around housing uh, homeless and uh, marginally housed uh, queer and trans and gender nonconforming people, um, and her sex work activism, kind of like, And then, um, you know, later I made a film about her with my uh, friend and co-director Sasha Wartzel, and it was about her, her moment at Stonewall and kind of like how these small intimate acts of care with one another can really create a transformative experience for the world to, to step into. And now with this biography, I'm writing much more about her art making, um, you know, she was doing two performances a day, morning, evening with um, this off-off Broadway group called the Angels of Light, which kind of came out of the coquettes. She, you know, so she was like really all about her her theater practice and um, and her studio space was also the street. She would have like these kind of beautiful runway moments she was like an innovator of fashion, and she would start on one, um, Christopher Street is one of the, the longest streets in Manhattan and one of the oldest as well, and she would start uh, the one point in Christopher Street and walk, do a little runway strut, and then she would pick up some clothes out of the trash that she had hid there earlier in the day and then put on another look. And then strut, and then get another look out of the trash, and then put that on, and it would be this beautiful, extravagant, opulent way of inviting, uh, you know, the audience who are just people also on the street into the world that she was making, which was more fun and more joyful and alive.
0: Wow, I mean, this conversation about queering things um, is so interesting when thinking about Marsha strutting down Christopher Street and pulling fashion out of a a trash can and creating a moment. Actually, there's a plaque on um, Darlinghurst Road uh, near where I live that says, um, I I think it's actually a line from I When I Am, you think it's trashy, I think it's pretty. Um, And there's this idea of, like, what Marsha sees as holding beauty and what some queer people see as holding beauty and how it might be viewed from the outside and giving this moment um, a focus and a um, an opportunity to, to shine and to be validated in a way that perhaps um, it wasn't at its time of happening.
2: Absolutely. And that I think, you know, so often about just innovators, you know, people who are just ahead of the curve, who uh, it takes a while for the rest of the world to catch up to the level that there on. And, and, you know, that is what Marsha was doing on a daily.
0: That's a big tenant of your work, right? Expanding the legacy of forgotten figures, um, into the present moment to, to highlight their, um, creative acts. What is it about that, that, um, is what you want to make your passion?
2: You know, I think that, so it's part of It's like, uh, my friend, Chaney, who is an astrologer, was like, girl, this is just really astrological. My my Venus is in the house of, which rules my whole chart. I'm a Libra rising, um, is in the house of like forgotten ones. It's in the 12th house mm. and it's in Virgo. So it, there's a kind of specificity and I'm a Cancer. So I really care about, you know, lineage. I care about like, you um, You know, cancer might be reduced to like the mother figure, but I care about like caring for the past and the lineage so that we can really tune to dreams of expansiveness, ideas that bring us forward. And to me, all of those things make me feel really alive. When I walk around New York City, I so easily tune to the dreams and desires that people had before me, you know, like hundreds of years before me. Mm-hmm. And now I, I'm i in this fun moment when I am also kind of pivoting to, like, what's here? Like, what's right now? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's this, like, person who is, like, you know, giving. They're giving extravagance. Or it's, like, mm-hmm. the flowers are coming out. You know, it's just, like, really tuning to both what happened before to, culminate in what we're experiencing right now and also what is right now, which is beautiful in and of itself.
0: Um, And what is the piece that people can see
2: in the queer exhibition
0: at the National Gallery of Victoria?
2: So, absolutely. So that piece is Atlantic is the Sea of Bones and it was um, a film that I made in reference to uh, this author um, Lucille Clifton, who was a poet and also uh, a channeler. And she wrote this poem, Atlantic, a Sea of Bones, which was about how huge kind of violences can continue to haunt a landscape, violences like slavery and transatlantic slave trade, racism, even after they're supposedly over. And so I made this film about uh, like the afterlife and the present life of AIDS epidemic happening in New York City and how it just really moved through an entire community and um, creates a kind of like spaciousness and feeling of grief and sorrow. But I wanted it not to just be about the the hard, bad things that happened to us, but how do we reach for relief and joy in the midst of a mess of a thing? And so my friend Egypt Labeja, who, um, you know, kind of was like coming up in this time as a performer um, as a pageant queen uh, in balls, you know she um, is the the like main character of the film, and uh, my friend Fatima is kind of like at both her antagonist and her uh, catalyst into like a greater sense of uh, of power.
0: Wow. And your work often centers uh, black and brown trans women, um, giving them a voice and giving them a story, um, which, I mean, hopefully is obvious why it's important. But why is that important to you?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think part of it is just really simply, like, the party's more fun if more of us can be at the party. And so often there's, like, a a history of people who've been excluded from the party. Mm -hmm. And whether the party is, you know, what's shown at museums or who's, like, walking in the fashion show week or, you know, who's able to have housing or health care, when we have the things that make us feel good, when we have access to the stories and the material and the feels that make us feel good. We just are more alive as a people. And so yeah. that'd be my that answer the truth. Yeah. It's so
0: it's so peculiar how how anybody ever thinks that they're getting less than because others are getting a piece of the pie. It's yeah. just I think it's that thing maybe as queer people or maybe as you know, maybe as someone who's been fortunate enough to live in a world where I've got to like live and breathe and look up to a much more diverse world than, you know, the one I grew up in. And you see that it becomes a three-dimensional story where before it was kind of just a flat piece of paper, white paper. Um, Yeah. And I just love that you're telling all of these stories and you're sharing all of these, all of these, because a lot of it I think was a lot of it was oral history, um, right. a lot of it wasn't recorded because it wasn't deemed yes. important. And now yeah. we look back and and I think maybe as queer people we're like, oh, gosh, these little moments of our lives that we didn't think were important are actually our history. Um,
1: exactly.
0: And you were named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in 2020.
2: Ooh, la, la. What sort of honor is that? <laughs> Ooh, la, la. Ooh, la, la. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think what, what you're talking about is, like, scarcity logic, right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. people think that there's this, like, uh, I love how, like, Abraham Hicks talks about it. It's like people think that there's this, like, limited amount of pie, and if you get more than um, your fair share, then there'll be less for everyone else. But actually, you know, what we're showing through our actions, through what many of us are doing, is that the pie expands. Mm -hmm. Just like you said, like the story gets more three, it becomes more three-dimensional. The pie expands based on the number of people who decide that they like pie. You know, like Mm -hmm. no one is, um, it's like a similar thing. It's like if someone's basking in the sun, they don't have to stop basking in the sun for you to bask in the sun. There's literally enough shine to go around. And I love being part of a wave of people who are turning that belief, that knowing, into something material that we all get to experience. Whether it's a party, whether it's a book, whether it's a movie, whether it's a look, whether it's just the way that we move from our homes to the subway or to a friend's house it is like this beautiful moment of abundance that I feel like we're, we're all tuning towards uh, more and more. And I think that, you know, is like with the Time 100 thing, it's really nice and, and beautiful when other people clock you and are like, oh, what you're doing is, is meaningful and, and wonderful. And I remember a time when uh, that wasn't, you know, there was a very small group of people who named each other as like, important to each other and so it's beautiful that more and more people are um are like kind of tuning to the value that that we all inherently have
0: it's that thing isn't it you you i'm sure you weren't doing your art for that purpose but and maybe like as much as you don't i don't know i find that like when i get those validating experiences a little part of me goes like oh no 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 but actually on
2: the inside (laughs) you're like oh Thank you yeah. for seeing me, yeah. finally. Uh, yeah, literally. <laughs> it's funny, too, because, you know, it's like you can go a really long time without being having those experiences, and then uh, when you get them, you still are kind of like, I remember I was with my friend, Corey, and um, I was like, you know, and then um, uh, Marsha, and started explaining Marsha, and Corey's like, to this other person, of course, like, you really just, everyone gets it now. Like, girl, like, it's just, like, everyone understands. You know, not everyone, but, like, in this kind of... And so sometimes I have to catch myself up to speed with, like, you know, the world is different than Mm -hmm. it was 20 years ago when we were, like, talking about this in a particular way. And it's fun to, like, get up to speed with, like, uh, there's many there's just a more knowing you know it's there's an expanded world that that we have helped build and now i get to luxuriate in it you know and uh stop you know like pushing and start just like oh this is nice like there's a shared vibe this is great
1: yeah
0: is there a challenge there to let go of that? you know, past lifetime of expectation of what people know and how they're going to treat you and coming into alignment with this idea of where the world is now. Like there's sometimes yeah. like that even deficit in your own mind, right, where you're like, yeah, oh, absolutely. sorry, right, people know people know about Marsha now. People respect yeah. me now. My art is in yeah. art
2: galleries. It's it's very funny to like to realise that, oh, you know, like I have my own outdated ideas that I need to like swap out for up to speed ones in and it's also can be kind of fun you know just be like oh I was wrong you know like I was wrong about that everyone here at this table understands (laughs) like I'm I'm just being funny like with my miss uh what is it called my my misassumption or that kind of thing yeah
0: yeah um now tell me about freedom dreaming
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, freedom dreaming uh, is a term that I learned from um, a dear friend and professor, and um, he was—I was uh, his research assistant, Robin D.G. Kelly. uh, This is like literally twenty years ago um, when I was a student at Columbia, and he wrote a book called about called Freedom Dreaming, and it was about just how to dream beyond what is, and so. Um, you know, that text was really influential on me and, and many other people. Um, and we've kind of like since expanded and, um, on what freedom dreaming can, can mean. And really it just means like chilling out, relaxing, getting in a kind of replenishment mode where you start to daydream, imagine things that aren't quite here yet but might provide a sense of relief or might fuel a particular kind of desire. So a really easy one for me back in the day was just like to be able to go out and wear what I want to wear and feel safe and confident and uh, ease, to feel a great sense of ease leaving my home and just like going wherever. And that to me, you know, and for many of us uh, was just existed in the realm of dream. And still, for many people, it does, you know. And uh, I remember listening to this audio of Sylvia Rivera, who was a, you know, compatriot of, of Marcia's, and she was talking about in the years before Stonewall, she would just dream up. They would sit in hotel rooms and just kind of, like, dream about when things might be, like, a little bit easier for the girls. And so, to me, dreaming, imagining... Is so necessary, is such a key component of creating the world that we want to inhabit.
0: Mm. And sometimes uh, the communities that we form around us, often due to survival, are those safe little pockets where we're allowed to yeah. dream with each other. Exactly.
2: What do you think?
0: What do you think, Marsha and Sylvia and, and all of those icons of, of the bygone era would think about today?
2: Yeah, that's such a great question. I mean, I kind of firmly believe that they're really involved in creating currently still this moment. So I think that they're tuned to what's happening now, and we can tune to them. So um, you know, it's like taking um, taking life before beyond where it's been before. So meaning, like I, I did this collaboration, this runway line with uh, this swimwear company called chromat which is about you know swimwear for um plus size bodies fat bodies queer bodies trans bodies and we did this collection called cock copious overflowing cherished knowledge and it was about like for the girls who don't want to talk at the beach or trans men who wanted to pack or anyone who needed like package support or like wanted some bold room like there wasn't a swimwear line for that particular form of body and so i think that's something where it's like if you tune to people like Marsha, who are always like okay now we can take it uh even beyond like a kind of like a tantalizing way of making swim more even more hot and delicious so that more of us can show up to the party i think that is a moment of like that's what Marsha thought like let's keep it going you know
0: that's such a beautiful thought and it's so interesting To think about how maybe some people from the outside and maybe even some people on the inside um, think about, you know, queer bodies and trans bodies and fat bodies and and different body shapes. And I love that you're giving people permission to express their bodies and giving them something as simple as a swimsuit, I feel. Yes is just so empowering to say you know fuck the tuck or to say yes like, exactly Ex- <laughs> express exactly. whatever it is because <laughs>
2: yes.
0: it's 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 such a, a fascinating thing you know i i think about like trans beauty standards and cis beauty standards and this idea and and i guess for the longest time for for many trans women um, yeah. it was a, it was about conforming because That was what they had to do to survive, to get through life. But I love that in 2022, we're in this era where, you know, there can be a swimsuit line for a trans woman that has room in the crotch because that's what she has and it's not apologetic. I mean, that is community and that is activism through a swimsuit.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the thing where it's like what Marsha thinks about today is like all of these realms of our life, there's possibility for expansion and when you allow yourself to freedom dream to sink into a place where you're just imagining where it's not a red hot button issue it doesn't have to happen today and you're not killing it with your doubt you're knowing that it can happen and it's coming together right now then every single part of your life can get activated in that way and it's a really beautiful thing
0: Oh, I love that. I love all of this. And I love that people are going to get to see one of your pieces, Atlantic is a Sea of Bones, at the Queer Exhibition at the National Gallery of Victoria. But obviously people should uh, go online and follow you to keep up to date with all of the other pieces that you're creating with this biography that you're writing. Um, That's such such an exciting thing. Um, And I look forward to reading that. When that comes out, When do you have any dates for that?
2: Uh, It's going to be fall 2023. So I would love to come back and talk about the book when it's out.
0: That would be absolutely wonderful. Are there any thoughts that you want to leave us with about community or activism or about your work or about yourself?
2: Yeah, I think just, you know, this general vibe that you brought up about the pie and how the pie expands and becomes more three-dimensional I love this idea that we're just, like, really tuning to abundance and releasing scarcity, like me releasing scarcity at the table of, like, the scarcity idea that people didn't know about this important thing, you know, or or the value of our lives. Even I, I catch myself all the time just being like, oh, that's a scarce idea. I can let that go. And so, you know, I'm in it just like everybody else, and it's really cool to be, like, one of many, like, it's not leading, we're all teaching ourselves and each other and showing ourselves in each other. And that's really fun.
0: I think as well, you just said, oh, that's a scarce idea. I can let that go. I think that's a really important acknowledgement to make because sometimes people try to um, focus too much on what they want without acknowledging what is and i think sometimes there are these scarcities there are these atrocities there are all of these things that happen that are really important to acknowledge but then from there you can jump off into um making the world a better place which is something that you seem to be doing consistently with your art and your activism and i just want to say thank you so much for sharing your time
2: thank you oh what a pleasure
0: Make sure that you get down to the National Gallery of Victoria here in Melbourne to see this wonderful exhibition, Over 400 Works. It's all free and it's here from the 10th of March through to the 21st of August, 2022. Next episode, I am going to be talking celebration and memory with Dr Ted Gott, Senior Curator of International Art. Uh, Really great conversation diving into queer history also I loved talking to artist photographer William Young about his amazing collection of portraiture photography and documenting the queer community from the 70s all the way through to today so that's on the next episode thanks so much for listening I hope you've enjoyed this NGV queer podcast I'm Courtney Act.